Hey, it's a special TX Water Polo podcast today. We're going to listen to the rest of Joe's conversation with Mac McDonald. And uh, Joe and I are also going to vamp about the first couple decades of water polo in the state of Texas at the high school level. So that's it. Here we go. On Tuesday, you spoke with Mac McDonald. He's been involved in the sport um, for basically from the beginning in 1972, um, and you're going to talk to him again today. We have that uh, interview coming up in a couple minutes, but uh, first, we wanted to go over just a little bit. I mean, you spoke with him really about the 70s, 80s, and 90s in your last conversation. By the way, go back and listen to it if you haven't done that. Go to the TXWaterPolo.com. Um, uh, so um, beginning next week, we're going to start uh, a few things. So on Tuesday, Joe and I will go over the best teams from each decade, and we're going to select our favorites. Um, it's it, it's a uh, it's not really scientific. It's based on it's a subjective thing, right, Joe? Sure. Yes. And I mean, it, and it's not going to be like the best team from this decade. It, it might be the, like the two or three best teams and stuff like that. So I know, but I like to pick the top and and you like to spread the wealth, but we'll, we'll figure that out. So, um, and then on that same day, we're going to go live with the, the best of Texas brackets. And that's just, if you're familiar with voting in final four, it's, it's going to be similar to that. So we'll, we will seed quote unquote the top 16 boys teams the top 16 girls team and then you will have a chance to vote on each one of them on a weekly basis that'll be the that'll take uh, four weeks right so um at the end of that we will have crowned the best team in the history of uh, texas high school water polo and then following that and it might actually be that last day joe and i are going to discuss the best programs from each decade and so that doesn't necessarily mean there's a single team that won you know a state championship it's it's about the programs yeah it's going to be a lot of fun so everybody once we uh uh, kind of have our podcast kind of next week please make sure you spread the word and get some people out there and vote for your uh favorite team like your area get some people that you played with back in the day to kind of vote it'll be fun yeah, go find family members who are around at the time so that they they, they know what was going on. So anyway, <clears throat> so Joe, I have a list of the state championships over the course of the entirety of high school history, and as you do. And uh, the first thing that I talk about a lot of times when I speak to those outside the state is that Texas is unique in that it started both boys and girls high school water polo in 1972. Now, that's two decades before California started girls water polo. Yeah, that's right. So um, uh, uh, Dennis Fosdick, and we mentioned this in the Mac um, uh, talk on Tuesday, but uh, uh, he kind of started a state high school championship. Um, yeah, whenever he was the head coach at Texas A&M uh, men's swimming and water polo. Mm-hmm. Um, A&M Consolidate uh, won the first boys championship in 1972. And then there was, you know, yeah, and, th- and then there was Lamarck, and I think St. Mark's won back then. Um, I think Clear Lake f- kind of in 1978 won, and then it just started the decade of dominance on the boys' side from the San Antonio teams. Alma Heights won in 1979, and from then until 1985, it was just constant San Antonio teams kind of kind of not only in the uh, championship – but also the championship game. So first and second place, uh, Tom Clark high school, uh, in the mid eighties, they had a, a run of, 
of four straight state championships, and they went uh, 101-1 one and one during that time. They did? Wow. That's incredible. They did, and, and that was multiple coaches, too. So Mark Kelly won the first couple, and then Kurt Swanson won yeah, the last two. And for those that kind of listened yeah, the other day, I did graduate from Clark High School, but I was a, I, I was a little, a little younger. Um, my brother played on, on a couple of those teams, though. Nice, nice. And then Rod Sterling won in 86. Um, that stopped the little decade of dominance. And then John Marshall kind of, yeah, yeah, from San Antonio won again. And then in 1988, it just started a couple decade dominance for the Houston teams. Well, that talk. Was, yeah, go ahead. And that was then that was North Shore at the end of the 80s. And then Sterling won a couple and Umble won a couple. Clear Lake dominated in the mid 90s. Um, and that's and that's just a quick little review of the pre 2000 boys side. Well, super, there, James? super quick. Right. So the um, obviously there's these sort of big themes, these big changes in history. And so it shifted from San Antonio, quite obviously, to Houston. Was that personality driven? It had to be right. I mean, I was actually around in San Antonio whenever that happened. I was not very um, kind of happy with it. So back in the day in San Antonio, we used to play of. Uh, Full fall season from the middle of August till the end of October, early November. Um, yeah, for the fall high school season. And then in the spring, we also played about a month. Yeah, you got a six weeks for the high school. And there was also an age group program. And this was in the Northside School District. Mm-hmm. And so there was a lot of water polo being played over there. Now, whenever I was in about 1985, 86, they did away with the age group program oh, okay. in San Antonio. And then the next year uh, they did away with the, um, the spring uh, water polo program. So what happened there was as San Antonio started doing less, a lot of the Houston teams started doing a lot more, including age group, like including age group. And they started playing a lot more during the summers okay. and there was a summer league and then they'd take their, like their teams out to California or, or the East Coast. So as at the same time that the San Antonio team started doing a lot, like a whole lot less, the Houston team started doing a lot more. And the San Antonio teams kind of hung on there for a couple of years, but it that just became that just was the dominant. Uh, they were they dominated the sport for two decades kind of from the Houston area. So. Okay. The, the girls' side, it's a little less clear. I mean, obviously, the Houston teams dominated for quite some time. Um, it, but there was a stage as well in the 80s when the um, when San Antonio teams were, were dominant, um, and, well, actually the entire 80s, and then bang, same thing, just shifted directly to Houston. Yeah, so Clear Creek, actually from Houston, they won the first three uh, girls' state championships. I think they started the first real true state championship in, in 1977 for the girls. Um, and then again, Alma Heights kind of, yeah, kind of kickstarted the, like the decade of domination for the girls for the, yeah, kind of from the Houston side. So Tom Clark girls, they played in nine straight state championship games. <laughs> okay. And they lost four in a row. Then they won four in a row and then they uh, lost their ninth one. And John Marshall was their uh, competition in what? Seven of them. Yeah. Nemesis. Yeah, exactly. And kind of kind of John Marshall kind of started off the decade with three straight wins. And then Tom Clark won four. And then it, and then it was a battle back and forth between Marshall and Taft. And then Clear Creek kind of yeah, kind of won in 1989. And then that just kicked off everybody from Houston. And, and go ahead. same thing. Right. I mean, so the, the you know, they started the youth programs. They were much more active with the summer t- uh, summer games as well. Right. I mean, that that it only makes sense. 
Yeah, exactly. And I mean, I mean, it was that that's exactly true. And it was just a little bit more of an emphasis on swimming in San Antonio with a little bit more emphasis being put on like not that they didn't emphasize swimming in Houston, but it was they actually took time out and did a little bit extra water pool kind of during the year outside the regular high school season. Okay. Okay, Joe. So we'll take a break and return with part two of your conversation with Mac McDonald. In many podcasts, this time would be filled with ads for electric toothbrushes or recruiting services. Not here. Instead, we're asking you to show your support for TX Water Polo by donating to it. Go to txwaterpolo.com slash donate and help us continue covering the sport we love in the Lone Star State. Hi, I'm Claire and I'm, and you're listening to the TX Waterpolo Podcast. <laughs> All right, and now we're back again with Mac McDonald who is currently the head coach at Lamar High School. Uh, so last time we went over the 70s, the 80s, and the 90s. And this time, yeah, we're going to go over the 2000s and 2010s. Mac, um, how are you doing? Just tell me, I wasn't around back in the early 2000s. I think that you won state championship in 2001 with Sterling for both boys and girls. So kind of tell yeah, me kind of yeah, how it was. We, we had a great year in 2001. Uh, both the girls and the boys won. Um, that gets done a few times. Uh, Side Creek's done it. Clear Lake's done it. Oh, yeah. Um, it, it's been more and more difficult to do it as of late. It looked like uh, Denton Geyer was going to do it one time, and they're, uh, they got tripped up. Last year, it looked like Foster was going to do it. But when you win both the girls and the boys in the same year, that's a special year. So that was a, that was a strong team. Um, I, I've said before, if you're going to pick – the best team that you've ever seen. I don't think any coach is going to pick his own team because if, if a team is that good, the coach knows where they're beatable. No, nobody knows your weaknesses better than the coach of that team knows them. So I would, uh, I would disqualify anybody that said their own team was the best that they ever saw because nobody saw those teams' flaws better than their own coach. But I was really, really proud of those teams. They were very, very different. Uh, the girls were a, uh, a two-meter set. Shelby Slay was our two-meter set, and she dominated the game. The boys were a very, very balanced team. Shelby was named the, uh, the MVP that year. And on the boys' side, uh, Dustin Fleming was named the MVP. And Dustin didn't start. The, the boys' team was so well-balanced and had – you know, more than seven players that were capable of starting for just about anybody, that Dustin came off the bench and he didn't like it. He wasn't happy about it at all. But he was the best player on the team. He could fill in any spot, and the kids that were out there to begin with knew that the first one of them that made an egregious mistake, Dustin was going to come in and take over for them, and they probably weren't getting back into the game. So it, uh, it had two very different approaches where the boys were a fast-break team, uh, played the game really, really well, and the girls were get the ball to Shelby and get back on defense. And what I came to realize, that and also with an earlier team that I had at Sterling where we had a really strong two-meter set and a really good two-meter girl can dominate the game in such a way that the rules didn't allow you to scheme a defense against a dominant two-meter player. But you could throw a number of players at them, and you could double and, if necessary, triple-team them. 
And that's what people would do, both to Megan and then again to Shelby. They would just crash on them. But Shelby was, was good enough that she could beat that every now and then. They were low-scoring games. And when a team has to commit that many players to double and triple teaming at two meters, it takes them out of counterattack. So knowing how vulnerable we would have been to a counterattack, we simply didn't let it become a swimming meet. We pushed everybody down there on top of Shelby, and it gave us plenty of room to get back and take away the other team's offense. Yeah, it's, it, I mean, it's, yeah, it's amazing how the game's changed over the course of the years. It's, I mean, it's not only changed, but it also stays the same because it's still the same way nowadays. You know, if you have the one big strong player, it's – so we have to take them away, and then it's in the and then the goal is to kind of just kind of attack the weaknesses and kind of kind of focus on the strengths and such. So, but on the girls' side, some other good strong girls teams. I know I see that kind of humble one a, a couple times with Chuck Blackman, and I think his 2006 team where he that was the last year that Humble High School played. Right. They won with eight girls, eight they total did. girls. Those girls were were Iron Man. Uh, they won, and the next year, Humble lost all of their players to Atascacita. They did a, they brought in a new school in the Humble School District. Atascacita made it back to the state tournament the next year and came in third. Uh, but that that year before, their last year to represent Humble, they uh, they put together one of the great seasons with just eight players. And then a team that almost beat them that year was Sterling, and starting in 2007, Sterling won seven of eight state championships. So yeah. Yeah. That was, they, uh, that was like a, like a little run of dominance there. I think you mentioned Scott Slay and then TJ Markowitz and then Allie Hill, they all contributed there on. And then on the boys side, it was, I mean, I think Sterling had again in, yeah, in 2007, I think Sterling won both boys and girls. And that was one of the best boys teams. I think you mentioned like the St. Agnes team. That was probably one of the best boys teams. There was with, uh, we, yeah, we, yeah, with Zane Bilal and Matt Choppa and Stevie Ray. Yeah, uh, Stevie Ray's older brother uh, taught him the game, and Justin went on to play with you up there at the uh, yeah. Coast Guard Academy. Uh, Stevie, Merchant Marine Academy. It was, it was the Merchant Marine Academy. Okay, I'm sorry. I'm That's sorry. Okay. That's okay. But Stevie, I knew him from when he was a little bitty kid, little age grouper, swimming for our summer league swimming team, playing. Uh, and God, I hope he doesn't hold this against me. He was a short little fat kid. And I think he's he holding it against you because everybody tells a story. So when he became a man, oh my gosh, there was no stopping. That kid was a monster. And thank goodness his parents raised him right, or he'd have killed somebody. Yeah, and, and he grew, I think between his sophomore and junior year, he grew and he became a dominant player. I think he went on and played at Navy. And then uh and then just kind of from that same high school graduating class, you had Matt Choppa that that uh that went on and started, I think, four years at MIT. Right. And, you had, and then you had Zane Bello that went on and won five rings at USC. Right. Yeah. So those, pretty those good little team right there. Carried it forward to the next level. Uh, Zane is quite possibly the best player that I've ever coached. I only had him when he was a freshman and Scott had him from that point on. Uh, but he was tremendous. Uh, but the, the balance between those three made that team as, as strong as what it was. Yeah. And I think Zane's is, yeah, Zane's one of the best kids that I've ever had a, had an opportunity to work with as well. He did something that a lot of kids kind of don't do necessarily. And a lot of coaches kind of might find a, a little annoying at times. He always asks questions. Yeah. A thousand <laughs> questions. 
which is great. I love that because he wants to get better. And I loved his family. He was brought up right. He was brought up a Spurs fan. So I appreciate that, you know, but, uh, but like, you know, back in the kind of, kind of the late 2000s, early, early 2010s, there was another issue that kind of went on at the time. That was whenever, you know, that was when, um, at the Tisco water pole annual meeting in 2007 and in, uh, in September is when, um, it was voted on to move the season officially from a fall sport to a spring sport. Um, and then the official first year was 2008 to 2009. And that's in the spring of 2009 was the first Tisca water pole state championship. But tell us, there was a, a, another state championship that same year too. There were, they played two years in a row in 2009 and 2010, a group called the Texas high school water polo coaches association. And there had been a debate for a period of time about whether or not water polo was best suited to be played as a fall sport or as a spring sport. And I really look back at it that it was a philosophical difference. There were coaches that felt like they wanted water polo to uh, be the reward at the end of a swimming season after the kids were in the best shape that they could possibly be. And they felt like it didn't interfere with their high school season if they made it a spring sport. There were other coaches, and I would be among that group, that wanted water polo to be what you used in order to develop your team chemistry before a swimming season. And at the time, the uh, the state meet was later in March. There was more room in the fall to have a season. It was starting to get squeezed. So there was an argument back and forth as to whether it should be fall or spring. And it, it actually came to a vote at a time when there was a hurricane coming through Houston, and a lot of coaches weren't able to get to the clinic. And so they moved it from the fall sport to the spring sport. And these coaches in Houston decided, well, we're not going to move. We're, we're going to form our own association and we're going to play in the fall because as, uh, as Will Halton at Clear Creek said, he said, I've got to do what I think is best for my kids. There was an argument at that time that kids weren't going to get recruited to college if they waited until the spring because the colleges would have already done their recruiting. And some of that was true for men's water polo, not necessarily for women's water polo. Um, so we formed our own association and we played for two years as the Texas High School Water Polo Coaches Association. And I really feel like at that time, we had what had been the best teams being up to that and what proved to be some of the best teams when we came back together. So I think we had the best teams playing, but they were all in Houston. There may have been one team coming out of San Antonio to play, uh, but we had to look at each other at some point and recognize, okay, we're only playing within our own city. If we really want this thing to be legitimate, we've got to got to join up back with Tisca and go back in with this spring season and make it work. So that's what we did. Now that said, the uh, you know the argument about whether or not it was spring or fall didn't subside. We continued to debate it, but it didn't really come up again. In 1998, Tom Landgraf just almost got this sport adopted by the UIL. We had it voted upon by the Legislative Council. We were very, very close to getting accepted, and something went wrong at the last minute, and it didn't happen. But in 2013, uh, one of the UIL athletic directors, Tracy Neely, approached Ann Woolweaver at Clear Creek and said, why haven't you ever tried to get the sport adopted by the UIL? 
And Ann told her, well, we did, but you rejected us. And Tracy goes, well, that was before I was there. I think the time is right now. You ought to try it again. So in 2013, we started again with an effort to do that. Ann was instrumental in getting it started uh, when she uh, was replaced by Chris Cullen as the Tisco Water Polo Chairman. Then Chris undertook it, and Chris did it for the majority of the time. And then just this last year, Scott Slay took over, and we finally got adopted by the UIL. This is probably the most significant thing that is going to have happened in this sport that we've all given our lives to. So I think it's a very, very important thing. But just before it happened, Susan Eliza with the UIL came up to you and Chris Cullen and myself and said, you know, I just don't see room for it in the spring calendar. And I said, well, we could play it in the fall. And I, I thought Chris was going to kill me with the glance. But Eliza said, you could. And I go, yeah, we've done it before. And I think people thought that I was trying to dredge up the argument from 2009, 2010. I just wanted in. I didn't care where we played. I just wanted in. And I said, we can do it. We've done it before. So that kind of changed the direction right there at the end. We gave them the option of here's, we, we presented with a spring schedule and a fall schedule and the UIL decided to go with the fall schedule. So I don't know if without the conflict that we had in 2009, 2010, without, you know, Joe Linehan and Matt McDonald agreeing that, hey, in the best interest of this sport, we might need to drop our own argument and do what's best for the game. Uh, I'm not sure if we hadn't been through all of that, if we would have achieved what we did this past, this past fall. So all in all, I think it was well worth it. And I'm very excited to see what happens when we go forward. Yeah. And I mean, and I think Matt just kind of alluded to it. Uh, Matt and I were on opposite sides of this, debate back in the day yeah, and, we were. and uh was it um i believe that i was pro moving it to the spring back in the late 2000s and the primary reason was just to have a season that didn't conflict with high school swimming because as matt kind of talked about back in the early 90s and late 2000 or or the late 80s the high school swim uh championship it was in march that got bumped up to February and that moved everything else up. So there was a ton of teams that were swimming and in, uh, in having swim meets in October and September, kind of, kind of when it used to be, nobody had a swim meet in September and October. So at the time it was in the, in the mid to late two thousands, it was a little bit stagnant. A lot of teams kind of wanted to play, but they weren't going to play in the fall. So I just think that it was just an opportunity for growth. And I think that that was probably moving the, yeah, just moving it to the um, spring allowed a lot of teams to add and play. Undoubtedly, and, we had more growth at that time than we've ever experienced before. And again, without that growth, without yeah. that number of teams played, we would not have been accepted by the UIL. So, and uh, and I don't believe, it, and I don't believe uh, Chris or myself or Scott or Brad Shardell back in the day. I think we all agree that having a fall season was good and the benefits of a fall season and as a club coach i prefer a fall season because yeah. then it yeah because then it can be a longer kind of a spring summer season for club and going to jo's at the end of summer and i'm just and i'm just happy it all worked out i'm just happy that everybody came back together in 2011 
and everybody started kind of working together and, and we all got along and it was a focused effort over the last seven, eight years of which Mac was part of it, um, of kind of, of kind of getting over the hump and getting, and getting the UIL recognition. So I do thank you for all your hard work and patience and, you know, it, we might've taken the scenic route, but we got there. <laughs> but, um, I mean, but then in the 2010s, basically, um, again, the Houston teams kind of started off kind of dominating on the girls side. It was Sterling still kind of winning state championship after state championship, kind of clear Creek won one there in 2012. Um, and Side Creek won a couple in uh, kind of later in the decade. But then we had a couple kind of of the teams from North Texas with South Lake Carroll and Denton Geyer winning. Um, it was, and then it kind of became a, you don't know who's going to win now. And, um, and then on the boys side, again, Sterling kind of started off the decade kind of winning on the boys side and then followed by Tomball. Um, and then straight Jesuit, there was a great team with Jared Castillo and Clear Creek there in 2013. And then it started St. Mark's. They kind of won the uh, kind of five of the next six uh, uh, state championships. And that's and then kind of I think Flyer Mound kind of beat them in 2018, but it was it's like it's been very competitive. I think there's the fans in the stands have been great the last 10 years. The state championships have been some of the best. Yeah, it's been a it's been a remarkable cycle going on between which teams are going or which area was going to dominate, and I think that will continue to be the case. It'll be interesting once it goes UIL because there'll be no more, uh, you know, 8, 10, 12, 16 team tournaments. It's going to be a four-team tournament, and the, uh, the drama is going to be at the regional level as to which schools get out and get to that four-team tournament. It's going to make for some very, very important regional tournaments, and uh, that, that's going to be the big difference in going UIL. Yeah, I think the big challenge is going to be it's it's yeah it's we have we have a ton of teams down in Houston and we have a ton of teams in North Texas. It's getting all those teams that are kind of in the kind of out there like that haven't historically had water polo that are going to be playing water polo in the in the Midland and Odessa and, and El Paso and McGowan and Corpus. Um, it's not just kind of kind of getting the coaches kind of up to speed. It's getting them to tournaments. It's kind of it's kind of organizing the district events and games, but also getting the referees out there too. So, right. But uh, it, it'll be Houston versus Dallas for a while. Oh yeah. But I think those other teams are going to come up. It's called water polo and water seeks its own level. Well, kids do that as well. And if those teams are getting out of the West regional or the South regional or however they determine those other areas, then when they get to that tournament and they play those teams coming out of the East and the North, they're going to raise their level of play as well. Uh, same thing that we, that we observed when they split swimming 6A and 5A or 5A and 4A and the, uh, the lower classification brought their, their level of competition up. I think the same thing will happen with water polo. Yeah, it's going to be, it's, yeah, it's going to, it's going to be a lot of fun. And uh, Mac, again, I thank you so much for taking the time to kind of go over like the different decades here. Um, Mac and I are going to talk offline about kind of some of the better teams and we're going to allow a lot of people out there and the listeners to vote on kind of this, on kind of the best teams of, of each decade and maybe talk about the, like the best programs, the most dominant programs. Mac, uh, thanks so much. I appreciate it. You're very welcome. 
Joe, we're finished with our little podcast today, but is there anything else we need to cover before we get out of here? Yeah, just be sure to check out the TX Water Pole um, education links. Um, we kind of, you and I kind of reorganized them a little bit this week. Uh, we're also going to put on our Texas Coaches to Coaches uh, uh, videos there. Uh, we started those earlier today, so every Thursday at 12.30 p.m., uh, yeah, we're going to have a Zoom meeting with some different coaches from around the state are going to just talk about a single water pole subject. It's going to be short and sweet, so it's going to be good for the beginners. It's going to be good for those that just want to talk about water pole. It's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, good. Um, and uh, and obviously there's a bunch more updated on Total Water Polo and TX Water Polo. There's so much content out there while we're all sitting at home. So go ahead and check that out uh, while you have the chance. Um, we've done some video analysis as well for my club. So, I mean, things like that. It's like we're, we're really branching out. But that's all for today. Thank you to Mac McDonald again for taking time to talk with us. And thank you, Joe. Hey, uh, uh, thanks, James. I appreciate it. I'll talk to you next week. Talk to you next week. And thanks to everyone out there for listening again, telling a friend about the water, the TX Water Polo podcast. Um, and uh, you can find us on TXWaterPolo.com and listen to us there or find us on social media, leave comments, give to the cause. And we will also be posting all this stuff on the brackets on there uh, next week. So until next week, so long from Austin. been a production of TWP Sports LLC. Sit still. Oh. <laughs>